0: we get started uh, this weekend. I want to share a little bit of a vision of where we're going as a church. Um, it was probably over 25 years ago that a group of people, my timing is probably not correct and there's people that know that here, but people stood out in the field and said, we dream of a church on this property and the uh, building the children are meeting is that building. And For many years when I first came here that was the church building and we met in there and had our services there and just loved it set up and tore down and And then it began to fill up we began to do multiple services and we said you know what what does God want to do now and eight years ago we started dreaming about this building and saying okay we want another building that's bigger so that more and more people can be loved upon, and we can have more more and more of an influence in helping people connect with God, and so here we are now in this building, and then we talked about uh, uh, adding a a multi-site model, and we've done that, and we have a, a campus at UD, and we have this campus here, and so what we are now at a place of, we've been talking about as an elder board, and is we've been saying, well, where are we going next? What is the next step? What if if God were to, if we were to say what in, in twenty by twenty twenty, what would our vision be? What would we want to see, and what do we believe God is calling us to? And I believe God's calling us to be more than just a church in this property. In fact, if, in my mind, we're standing on the shoulders of the people that went before us. We're standing on their vision, and and ultimately later down the road, there are going to be other people and other. Church members here and attenders here that are going to be standing on our shoulders And and so so what is it and and it's to be a blessing to this community It's not just to be a church in this community But a church for this community and for the city And so we're really looking at what does that mean? What what role can we play and and what does that look like and how does that flesh out? So we're working on a master plan and we're kind of saying well, what what does that master plan look like and we're convinced there's at least two components that are going to be happening rather soon. The first one is this. We believe that we need to move the UD campus and uh, we're, we're really, right now, we're in discussions with various nonprofits and city, uh, city uh, partners about relocating the UD campus to the downtown area. And I'm really hoping that in the next month we're gonna have some real specific news about that But we're still in conversations, and they're moving forward very well, but we'll have hopefully more news. So that's one of the steps that we feel. And we know that we've talked about this ever since we started this multi-site model that we really felt like we wanted to have a campus uh, downtown. And so I think that's going to be one of the major steps we're going to take. The second one is we believe that we need to have a campus that blesses the western part of the city and the county. And so we're looking into what does that look like and where would that be? And we've been doing some research on that and thinking about that and praying about that. And we believe that's part of what God is calling us to do, to not just have one campus, not just two campus, but three campuses, and, and strategically placed in different areas of the city so that we can be not just a church in the city, but a church for the city. And that's kind of our 2020 vision. And ultimately, we can't do it without you, we never could. Uh, we couldn't have done it without the people that came before us and laid the foundation that we're standing on right now. And so we, we want to lay a, a foundation for the generations to come. And we believe that uh, if we all walk together, and we move forward together, and we walk with Jesus, he's going to do some amazing things. In other words, what I'm essentially saying here, I've been here for 15 years. And I don't believe we've yet seen what, what God wants to do through this church. I don't think our best days are in the past. I think our best days are still before us. In fact, I will say this, I think our best days are going to go, be in this church far beyond my ministry here. But but that being said, God wants to do something great through this church, through this community of believers. And so I want you to join us, and I want you to be part of that, because uh, we believe that we need everybody to be part of this, and joining us, and Using their gifts using their abilities. That's how God has grown this church That's how God has deployed and used this church. And That's how he's going to continue to do it So I hope you'll join us in that vision You'll be hearing more about it as it gets fleshed out But I just kind of wanted to give you what's on, been on my heart but in the heart of the elder board What we've been praying about what we've been thinking about and we really feel like uh, some uh, Some exciting things are coming down the pike, but I wanted you to hear it I want to just kind of spill it out a little bit and you can share it with other people. Some, may, Hopefully many of you have gotten a communication and it explains a little bit. But that's kind of where we're going in the next uh, few years and the years to come. At least is what we believe God is leading us to do. So I pray that God will direct you and direct us and we'll go together and we'll see what God is going to do with us. Because I think great things are in store for Hope Church in the future. And more, more importantly, for the kingdom of God being uh, uh, being uh, just revealed in this community. So now what I want to do is I want to share with you what God has laid on my heart for this weekend. So I've entitled my message, and I'm going to tell you the title because I think it's really cute. Okay? And when I get a cute title, I have to exploit it. So I will. I want you to live like you're dead. Okay, see, isn't that a cute title? Now, but hopefully by the end of it, you'll go, what in the world is he talking about? And you'll say, okay, now I know what he's talking about. But that's the title I have, live like you're dead. So we're going to look at the book of Romans. We've been going through the book of Romans. and uh, But first, I want to ask you a question. There's three things that I think that reveal in your life, and think about your life for the last week, the last month, the last year, And I want you to think about this because I think there's at least three things that show that you are under the control of an inferior master. There's three things in your life that will show that you're under the control of an inferior master. What are those? Well, number one is fear. It's very normal as a a normal human being to go through times of fear. Uh, We all struggle with it. But sometimes fear can control us. Sometimes it can become a master over us. Sometimes something that is good can become something that is not so good. Like, let me ask you this. If, you know, if there's something that you really treasure, something that you really enjoy, something that's important to you, and it gets threatened, you begin to become afraid. You become, begin to worry about it. But something... But something that's good when it becomes an ultimate thing, like say, for instance, you say, well, I love my family and my family's uh, an important thing. And that's good. That's a good thing. But when it becomes an ultimate thing and you say, but you know what? It's become an ultimate thing. If I lost my family, I would die. I mean, literally, I would kill myself. I, I don't know what I would do. Now what you've done is you've taken a, a, a good thing and you've made it an ultimate thing. And fear has not just become something you, you now sometimes worry about your kids when they're out but now you become paralyzed by fear. And and you you uh, you are um, you are allowing the master, a false master to control you. So some of you struggle with fear and it's it's a daily part of your life. You you're afraid about and it's because you've taken a good thing and you've made it an ultimate thing. Let me give you another one. Anger. H- have people around you said, "You know, you seem really angry." You know, When something blocks you from getting a good thing, you may get angry. It may be some, oh, this happened, you know, the guy cut me off, or this happened in my life, and, and I had a, you know, I had a moment of anger. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is good, that becomes an ultimate thing. You say, I have to have this. If I don't have this, or if somebody takes this from me, I am, you know, I am gonna be angry all the time. And you walk around, and, and it's, you lose it. You, you continually lose it. And, and, and not only that, you become bitter. Sometimes you can become bitter because this person you perceive has taken something from you. They they blocked your goal, and you become angry—not just angry with them. You become bitter towards them. What you've done is you've taken something that's good and you've made it ultimate, and you've allowed a new master, an inferior master, to control you. Let me give you one more. Sadness. You know when you lose something or someone that's close to you, you're going to be sad. It's part of life. You grieve. You become sad. But when you make something or someone the ultimate thing and you lose them and you say, my life is over, I can't live without this person. I, I, I just want to die. You know What you have done is you've taken a good thing, you've made it an ultimate thing, and now what you've done is you've made an inferior master. In other words, you built your life on it and it's let you down. And your life just falls apart. Well, that's kind of what Paul's addressing this weekend. And we're going to look at Romans 6. Because we want to look at how do we root out these, these false spiritual masters that we all have in our lives? And how do we find the freedom that only Jesus can give us? How do we do that? Well, I think Paul has a lot to say to us this weekend. So we're going to be in Romans uh, 6. But I want to just, if you weren't here this weekend, even if you, were, if you weren't here last weekend, but even if you, you were here, I just want to review. In Romans, uh, the first five chapters, what, what Paul does is he explains the gospel, he basically says this salvation is not received is received, not achieved you don 't work for it it 's a gift it, it, and then this is a radical idea um, because if if you understand paul 's argument in Romans one through five, you come across and realize it 's all by grace, not what you 've done, but what Christ has done, then the natural conclusion is well, then it doesn't really matter how I live. If Jesus' sacrifice on the cross takes away all my sins, then who cares how I live? I mean, I could just live like hell and he'll still forgive me. That's Paul's argument. And, and, and really, if you come to that conclusion that it's all by grace and not by your performance, not by your uh, behavior and being good, when you understand grace that way, it, le- it can lead you to that mindset. And that's what Paul addresses. He says this. Notice what he says in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now, that's the argument, isn't it? Well, if I understand grace right, then it doesn't really matter how I live. I may as well go sinning. If I keep on sinning, it just means God's going to pour out more of his grace on me. Shouldn't I do that? And what does Paul say? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And I think Paul says two things in this verse. The first one is this. He says, you don't understand grace, if that's the way you come up with. You don't understand what grace is all about. That's number one. But number two, you're missing out on the life that he wants to give you right now, if that's your mindset. So Paul anticipates the question, and he answers it. What he does is he gives us three steps, and I think they're really important steps, to real profound life change. What are these three steps that bring that life change that we all want? Well, number one, we need to come to grips with our spiritual slavery. Notice what he says in verse 16 of chapter 6. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whomever, whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Every one of us, Paul's saying this, every one of us has, is born a slave to sin. We're all slaves. The first step of, of, of freedom, though, is to understand that you're a slave. You don't know what freedom is unless you understand that you're in bondage. When you receive the gospel and you trust in Jesus, you don't trust in yourself, but you trust in Jesus for your salvation. He sets you free from the power and penalty of sin. That's the first thing that Paul said in the gospel in chapters 1 through 5. He says, Christ has set you free from the power uh, uh, and, uh, of sin. This is the argument that Paul is basically saying in chapter 6. And This is where we get into the whole baptism thing. Paul is saying that we're united in Christ. That in verse 2 he says, we died uh, to sin and, and we were baptized. Into Christ's death and we will share in his resurrection and he uses the picture of baptism Let me read you those verses because it's really important to what he's saying verse 3 He says this or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism We joined him in his death for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as Christ was raised from the dead but by the glorious power of the Father now we also may live new life, Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. So what he's saying here, this is where the baptism analogy comes in. That's what Paul's using here. He's using an analogy. He's saying you are identified with Jesus Christ and your baptism is a picture of how you're identified with Christ. In other words, your water baptism shows how uniquely identified you are with Jesus. Okay? So here's what he's saying. Baptism is like a wedding ring. Many of us are wearing wedding rings right now. What does that do? It represents that we are married to somebody. That we have committed our lives to somebody. And they are hopefully wearing their wedding ring. And it means they've committed their life to us. So the wedding ring is a symbol of a commitment that we've made. So what Paul is saying is Baptism is a symbol, it's a picture of the commitment that you made to Christ, but not only that, the commitment that Christ made to you. You're united. So the wedding ring is a symbol of you're united with another person. That you're one with that person. That you're committed to that person. Baptism, Paul's saying, is that same thing. It's a picture of your unity, your unitedness with Jesus. Now, how are we united in Jesus? Well, baptism is a picture of it. Think about this. Just picture me. I'm standing and there's a a water and I'm in the midst of water right now, okay? If you don't want to picture me, picture yourself, okay? I don't really care. All right? So as you're standing in the water, you represent Jesus as he lived, right? As you go under the water, what do you represent? Jesus as he died. As you come out of the water, what do you represent? Jesus as he rose from the dead. That's what Paul's saying. He said, not only are uh, are you identifying with Jesus, but you're showing the union you have with Christ, that just as he died, you died. What did you die to? You died to the power of sin. When he died, you died. And here's the other thing. When he came out When we we come out of the water, it represents... When he came out of the grave, his resurrection. When we come out of the water, it represents our resurrection. He doesn't just say, you will be resurrected. He's saying, somehow or another, we've already been resurrected to new life. (laughs) That's what he's saying about baptism. Now, do you get the idea that maybe water baptism is a pretty symbolic, pretty important thing? It's like saying, yeah, I'll marry you, but let's not go through a wedding. I mean, I like being with you, but I don't want to marry you, you know. You know, when you marry somebody, when you give them a ring, when you make a pledge to them, you're all in. And you know, baptism is one of those things where you say to Jesus, I'm not just dating you, Jesus. I'm all in. Now, baptism doesn't save you. But it does show that you are saved. (laughs) It's a sign that you are connected to Jesus Christ. It's an outward sign of your inward connection. So if you're, if you're at least wavering on whether you should be baptized, I think this makes a strong case to it. Nothing else. Go to the class and find out. Now, you say, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that's great. So was I. But it wasn't my faith. I didn't drive myself there. I didn't confess anything. Maybe I said goo-goo. I don't know. I didn't say much. I probably drooled. I don't know, but I don't remember anything about it. The second time I was baptized, though, I remember that day. I remember the church. I remember the scene. I remember what I wore. I remember the verse I told. It was my identification with Christ. So I challenge you, think through that if uh, you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is the wedding ring of the Christian faith. So Paul is saying this, just as it happened to Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, So it happened to us. We died with him. We rose with him. We're united with him. And we stand before God with him. When the father looks at us, he sees his son. That's where we stand. So that's why that identification is, is so important. Now, why does Paul bring this up? Here's the argument he's making. He's saying this. He's saying, you need to understand that you were dead, but now you're alive. You were a slave, but now you're free. So understand that truth because Jesus has set you free and you're identified with Jesus now. You're a new creature. You're a new person. We are now free to live a new life. We're free from the penalty of sin because Jesus took our sin. He set us free. Sin no longer has a right to be a master over us. We don't have to say yes to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. But here's here's what happens. Satan wants you the enemy wants you to be deceived the enemy wants you to walk with your head down Feeling bad about yourself feeling under the burden Feeling like you have to obey and you have to sin and there's no hope And, And the first step of freedom is that you understand that you've been set free from the bondage of sin That you're identified with jesus christ and when you implement that truth You will begin to experience the freedom that jesus promised When you begin to implement that But this is only the first step. He gives you the second step in verse 11. And the second step is this. We need to consider the truth by replacing the old with the new. Here's the problem. It's one thing to know that you were a slave to sin. It's another thing to know that you've been set free and to begin to walk in that new truth. So here's what he says in verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now this is really where the real problem comes with in, uh, in our lives every day, isn't it? Really, it's one thing to know that we are dead and not, and slaves to sin. It's another thing to really live out that we're alive in Christ and we're set free from the power of sin. That's really the struggle. And and here's the problem. We've been conditioned by our old slave master so that we have patterns that run very deep into our lives and they're hard to break. They're hard to change. We have been set free, but we still live like slaves. We must... It's like this. If you were raised as a slave through your first 25 years of life, and then all of a sudden... They said, okay, you're free to go. You're free to make your own decisions. You're free to do whatever you want. You want you to have patterns in your life that would be so dependent and you would not know what to do with freedom. You would not know how to carry yourself. You wouldn't know what to do. And and, and many times that's what happens when we're set free. We say, well, what am I going to do? I've got these old patterns that are, I'm really comfortable with it. I don't know if I want to be free. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But we must repeatedly and continually consider that our new freedom and our standing and decide if it's true. We're dead to the power of sins and we're alive to God. Now, here's here's what we're really talking about. Can a married woman walk around and act as though she's not married? Certainly, and apparently many women do and many men do. (laughs) But they shouldn't right you say well there's something wrong with that you're married act like it you know uh, don't act like you're not married uh you know some people will take their wedding ring off they say, i don't want people to know i'm married you know well you can do that but what he's saying here is now you you are a new creature now act like it you you are uh, you are set free you you have new freedom now act like it uh the christian paul says is to look at their baptism. And see see how you're identified with Christ to remember that identification, that you've been set free, that you have new life, you have new freedom, you have new power. And, and, and when you understand that, things will change. Like I said, if you were born a slave and your life was difficult, um, you're not immediately going to experience those changes, but hopefully after you experience little freedom, little by little by little, there'll be that transformation. And you'll say, man, this freedom thing is pretty good. And some of us are experiencing that more and more every day. And others have been trapped. And we just have never come to the point of seeing that we've been set free. That the, the door, the, the, the prison cell has been opened and we never walk out. I want to challenge you to walk out. See, it's one thing to be set free. It's another thing to live free. The pull of the old master is strong. The old way of life is hard to leave. And Paul calls us. He says, he is literally saying to you, you need to walk out of that cell. You need to see your your unity, your identification with Christ. You need to see your new freedom. And you need to live on it. You need to act on it. And this is what he says. Notice what he says in Romans 6, verse 12. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. See, we must replace the old with the new. We need to replace our old master with a new master. Uh, we need to constantly consider our standing and state. We must constantly remind ourselves that I am someone else in Jesus. I'm a different person. I'm not the person I used to be. And by the way, if, if we, could, we, we don't have time right now, but if I could stop the service right now and say, I just want a few of you to give a testimony of what your life was like before Jesus Christ. You would be shocked. Some people that you know very well, they would go on and they would tell you about their lives. And they would say, That was my life, BC, before Jesus, before Christ. But after Christ, you would say, I know them now. I can't believe they were like that. I can't believe that was their life. But it was, because that's what the transforming power of Jesus does when we begin to open, we understand the door is open, we're no longer slaves, and we can walk out of the cell. Well, how do we do that? He tells us. That's the third step. We need to commit our whole lives to the process of transformation. Jump down to uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are verses that are you should under... I'll use the word underlineable. Okay? You should have these underlined in your Bible because Paul basically tells us. And he says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God... Because of all that he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then he says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But notice what he says here. This is so important right here. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Your mind controls your actions. What you think about is how you act. What you believe is going to control your life. And if you believe you're still a slave, if you still believe you're under the power of sin and you can't say no, then you will probably have a a life that is filled with failure and disappointment and you'll be just disappointed. But when you believe the lies you live this inconsistent life. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, you are free from the power of sin. Now act like it. Now act on it. Act on that truth that you're free. So how do you wholeheartedly embrace this newfound free- freedom? Paul says in Romans six sixteen. he says, Thank God once you were slaves, but now you, are whole- you wholeheartedly obey the teaching we have given you. Two quick things I want to say here. First off is this. We must see that our new freedom is better than our old slavery. That's part of the problem we have. Our old way of life, our old slavery, is pretty comfortable. It's like a pair of old shoes. They're very comfortable. But we shouldn't be wearing them. And we shouldn't be walking in them. And Paul is saying is, take off those old shoes, take off that old way of life, and walk away from it. And put on those new shoes. They're going to feel a little strange, they're going to feel a little weird, but you have to do that. So we have to understand that our old, uh, the old way, is uh, our new freedom is better than our old slavery. Um, I've had a number of people come to me over the years and say this. If I trust in Jesus, will I have to give up this? They may be in a relationship with another person and they're not married. They may, they may have a, a situation, they're, they're, it's just something that is destroying their life, and then they'll say, I'm afraid to give my life to Jesus because I'm afraid I'm going to have to give up that. And what they're saying is, can I keep this part in my life and still trust Jesus? In other words, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to turn this part of my life over to Jesus. That's a real struggle. So what are they saying? They're saying, I know I've been set free... And I know that you're telling me that I'll be set free, that Jesus sets me free from sin, but I kind of want to keep one foot in the door. I want to keep one in and one out. That's what I want to do. Is that possible? That's essentially what they're saying. And I want to just say this. You will never find freedom when you try to live for two masters. It'll never happen. And some of us, as Christians, are trying to, to walk those planks. You cannot... Straddled. And that's why Jesus said, If you want the freedom, you better stop what you're doing and you better come and follow me. I want all of you. I want none of you or all of you. You're either going to experience freedom or you're not. Now, some of us are saying in our lives, If I don't have whatever it is, this person, this situation, this job, this amount of money, if I don't have this... I don't believe that God could make me happy without that. I have to have that. And I'm afraid that if I give my life fully to Jesus, he may challenge this area. And I'm afraid that if he takes it away, I'm going to lose my security. I'm going to lose my significance. I'm going to lose my satisfaction in life. And I don't know if I can trust him with that. Some of us are struggling with that. And I just want to say this to you. You're never going to find the freedom that Jesus is offering by trying to live under these two masters. When we're only willing to give parts of our lives to Jesus, we won't find that freedom. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. We must see that our new master is better than our old slave master. Who is this new master? Well, he's Jesus. He's the one that got off of his throne and came to earth and lived a perfect life and gave his life for you on the cross died for you he gave everything that he possibly could the bible says greater love has no one than this that he would lay down his life and that's exactly what jesus did for us and you ask the question can i trust him <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> did we just say he gave his life for you then we say he gave up the riches of heaven for you. He came to earth. He was born in a manger to a family that was nondescript in a way off town. We could build Christmas up and make it this beautiful place and this uh, you know all this. It was not, it was a dump. <laughs> he was born in a dump to a to a n- nondescript family. And, he, and his whole life he was treated as though he was a bastard child. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He died on a cross as a criminal. He did that for you and he did that for me. You say, can you trust him with your life? See, the enemy wants you to believe that being under the bondage of sin is better than our new life in Jesus. It's like this. <laughs> C.S. Lewis used this picture, and I think it's so vivid. It's like this little kid, and that's what we are. We're little kids, and we're playing in this little, dirty, filthy mud puddle. And the mom comes and says, Son, daughter, come with me. We're going to the ocean where there's crystal clear water and beautiful sand. And it will just stun you with its beauty. And you're there in the mud puddle and you go, do I have to? I don't think I want to go there. And Jesus says, the door is open. Why don't you walk out, why don't you drop everything and follow me and trust me with everything for your security, significance, and your satisfaction. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And here's our problem. The old master says, you can't trust him. You can't. We must come to see that we were born slaves to sin, but now we're united with Jesus. And that's illustrated in our baptism. That we died with Him and we're buried with Him. That we rose with Him. That we stand with Him in heaven right now. That's what Scripture says. That because of our newfound freedom, we must commit our whole self, not parts. We can't straddle the fence. That we need to present ourselves fully to Him. And as we do that, slowly but surely, he'll transform us. It's kind of like this. Let me give you one last illustration. It's like Jesus comes into our house, and our life is the house, and we let him in the front door, and we let him in the living room, because we got the living room all cleaned up. Do you ever do that with company? where you're having company over and you throw everything in the closet and everything, you know, where they're not going to see it. You say, okay, they might be here, so I better clean that up. They're never going to be here, so I don't worry about that. But you just, you have certain areas and you say, oh, I hope they don't go in that room. You know, you just, you know. so Jesus comes in to your life and he, he welcome him into the living room and he starts immediately saying, oh, the nice living room. Hey, let's go look in there, this closet. You go, you don't want to go in there. I do want to go in there. No, you don't want to go in there. I I don't want you to go in there because when you see what's in that closet, you know, I don't think I like what's going to have to happen there. But that's what Paul says. He says, you've been set free, but we got these pockets in our lives and Jesus is going to come to those doors and he's going to challenge. What is he challenging in in your life right now? And what are you saying, Jesus? I don't know if I can trust you for that. I think I need to have that closet full of stuff to really be happy, to really feel significant. I don't know if I can trust you to clean that out. And I just want to tell you, Paul says the more you give yourself over to him, the more the freedom you'll find. And the more you allow him to take you away from that mud puddle, the more he'll reveal the beauty of the ocean that's waiting for you. Paul says, you can go on sinning, but you don't understand grace. Grace didn't just set you free so that you can go to heaven. Grace sets you free so you can live like it's heaven on earth. And that's what God desires for every one of us. I pray that you would enjoy that too. Would you stand? I want to read that same prayer that I read last weekend. Because I think it goes to the heart of what we've been talking about. Let me read that as we close. Father, Because of Jesus, there's nothing I can do that would cause you to love me more. Because of Jesus, there's nothing I can do that would cause you to love me less. Your presence with me and approval of me are all that I need for everlasting joy. As you have been so gracious and forgiving to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I remember your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Amen.